Welcome to Engineering Influence Podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies, coming to you from our 2022 Convention and Legislative Summit taking place here in Washington, D.C. We are pleased to bring you convention coverage made possible by our sponsor, Autodesk. Autodesk is changing how the world is designed and made. Their technology spans architecture, engineering, construction, product design, uh, manufacturing, media, and entertainment, empowering innovators everywhere to solve challenges big and small. From more suitable, resilient infrastructure to higher performing building designs, the Autodesk AEC collection gives every designer, engineer, and contractor the tools to create in new ways, explore what's possible, and build with confidence. So thank you very much to Autodesk for making this possible. I'm very pleased to be joined by one of our speakers for this event, Scott Harrison. He's the founder of Charity Water, and he's going to be kicking off our event uh, this evening. Uh, and uh, really looking forward to this because it's, it's a great way to kick off an event with something inspirational. A know, little different. A little different. You know, I think that it's it's a nice change of pace. I mean, it's engineers. You know, we're, we're very, you know, it's an analytical group. So it's yep. nice to kind of break that wall yep. down, you know. <laughs> And, you know, I'm and show I'm, a bunch of pictures and show a bunch of pictures. And, and you know, and I'm, I'm really interested in here, you know, this the, your history here and, and kind of how you got to where you are. Right. Because, you know, you started out, you know, at, in New York, you know, doing promotion for uh, clubs. Yep. Uh, you know, that that's a great market for it. And there's a there's a lot of exposure there. So how do you do the jump from there <laughs> to going on a hospital ship on the coast of Liberia as a photojournalist? Yeah. Well, the, the clubs was really a, a departure from maybe uh, what I wanted to do as a kid, which was to be a doctor. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up in a very religious home. My mom was uh, disabled from the age of four uh, for from the time I was four. And, you know, I was this good kid, went to church, took care of mom, wanted to be a doctor to cure her and others. Yeah. So New York was really a departure. Wake up at 18 one day and say, actually, I want to have some fun. Yeah. And I learned that there was this bizarre job mm -hmm. called a nightclub promoter where you could make a ton of money mm -hmm. and effectively drink for free. Yeah. And party for a living. I knew so some. I, did that for I 10 lived years. in New York and I knew I knew some promoters and it seemed like the most the greatest job in the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So to the horror of my parents, you know, for the next 10 years, I filled up 40 different nightclubs mm -hmm. uh, across Manhattan. And you know, it was a pretty simple business model. You get rich, famous, influential, beautiful people inside the club. Yeah. And then you just tax them. Yeah. I mean, they'll pay a thousand dollars for yep. a bottle of champagne. They cost easy, 40, easy, 25 bucks back then for a cocktail. Now it's 35 yeah. I and mean, they keep pushing it. CNBC pretty <laughs> much you're helping the business and this exposure and, just, and you just, you just, you just authorize the MX black card on yeah, the way just hit so, it as far as you can. <clears throat> you know, it, it, it probably looked glamorous, but all of the vices that you might imagine would come with that territory from smoking to drinking, to drugs, to yeah. gambling, to, you know, pornography and strip clubs and just yeah. to kind of dark, uh, hedonistic, sycophantic existence uh, where you're really just chasing pleasure and stuff and status. Mm -hmm. So at 28 years old, you know, I, I had the stupid Rolex watch and I drove the BMW and I had a grand piano in my New York apartment. You know, I'd been collecting these markers of success. I was dating a model, you know, who was in the cover of magazines and uh, I realized on this trip to South America that there would just never be enough. Mm. Somebody would always have more. Yeah. A, a better looking girlfriend, a better car, you know, a private plane, a much more expensive watch. And my God, my eyes were kind of opened as I was surrounded by people who did have a lot more and they were also unhappy. Yeah. Still chasing more. Yeah. 
And it just hit me that if I died at 28 years old, I would have made no contribution to the planet, to humanity. And my tombstone might actually read, here lies a club promoter who got a million people drunk. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. And, you know, I realized how far I'd come from the faith and the morality that my parents had instilled in me. And, you know, being a pretty radical guy, mm -hmm. I just went 180. I sold everything I owned. Yeah. And my idea was to, to do one year of volunteer humanitarian service and really just see if I could be useful. Did I have anything to offer the world, uh, people in need? And the first 10 organizations that I applied to all turned me down because serious, credible humanitarian organizations don't know what to do with a club promoter. Yeah. Uh, but I had gotten a degree at New York University, kind of going part-time. Mm -hmm. I'd gotten that in journalism. And I applied to this one organization and they said, if I was willing to pay them $500 a month and go live in Liberia. Yeah. Uh, so country, I'd never even heard of the that's country. A, that's a commitment. You yeah. got to pay the organization and move to a country, the poorest in country in the world yeah. post civil war. Yeah, exactly. years of civil war. So I'm like, this is really opposite. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm in. Yeah. And it, it happened very quickly. A few weeks later, uh, I was standing in Liberia with a group of doctors and surgeons who had volunteered, uh, spanning 40 countries, operating on a huge 522 foot hospital ship. And it was a very simple idea. We sail this hospital ship up and down the coast of Africa, pull into a port, mm -hmm. advertise our coming. Thousands and thousands of sick people would turn up and we would help as many people as possible for yeah. free. And, uh, you know, and I, I have some experience, at least with with Liberian refugees. I you know, my previous life working for a member of Congress was doing casework. And a lot of it was an immigration casework. And it was post Civil War Liberia mm -hmm. and the families that are coming out. I mean, the stories that you will you know, really heard shocking, from those communities right? were really shocking. And just, you know, how much you know, it's not one person. It's a family. It's a village. It's a community mm -hmm. that's impacted. And it's just not one person. I mean, you know, how long did it take you to realize that this larger issue, the looming issue of water access, of, of this yeah. basic human need, uh, was just a contributing factor to a lot of the, a lot of the issues happening in that area. Yes, yeah, so about a year uh, is the answer. The first year I was really focused on following the doctors around and documenting these medical procedures. Um, Liberia at the time had just come out of the 14-year war. Charles Taylor had fled to Nigeria. And there was no uh, electricity in the country, no running water, no sewage system, no mail system. There was one doctor for every 50,000 yeah. citizens. Here in America, I think we have a doctor for every 280 of us. Mm -hmm. So if you were sick, you were just out of luck. Yeah. Um, and what I said so that my, my third day there, I took a picture uh, standing on top of a Land Rover in hospital scrubs of 3,500 sick people that we turned away because we didn't have, we had filled every available surgery slot yeah. for six months wow. and 5,000 people came. So we had 1500 to offer. Um, I, at, at the end of the first year, you know, I met all these extraordinary doctors and surgeons. I met all these extraordinary heroic patients, uh, Liberians who had just been struggling uh, with their health. And the second year, I just went back for another year. Mm -hmm. And that's when I learned that half the country was drinking dirty water. Yeah. And half the disease in the country was because people dirt, were drinking dirty water. dirty water and didn't have access to sanitation and, and hygiene. Uh, so, 
you know, the, it was really the chief medical officer that encouraged me to kind of attack the root cause of so much of this sickness and disease. And he said, you know, we're never going to be able to get to everybody through our scalpels. Um, what if you just gave everybody in the world access to clean water? He said, you'd be the greatest doctor. You'd yeah. make the greatest contribution, you know, contribution yeah. to medicine if you gave a billion people clean drinking water. Yeah, cut it from the source and you never actually get to the doctor's office and you actually, you know, take right. out that stuff. And it really is the sort, you know, again, most people listening to this, you know, haven't really experienced waterborne disease. Mm -hmm. But there are 28 diseases uh, that you can track straight back to water. Cholera, which we've heard of, that'll kill you in a day and a half. Yeah. Um, e. coli, everybody's heard of. You know, trachoma is waterborne. So there, what what happens at the time when I started Charity Water, 4,500 children were dying every day of diarrhea. Yeah. You know, I've got a five and a seven-year-old. My kids get diarrhea. I go to Dwayne Reed. I buy that blue stuff, yeah. right? Pedialyte or something. And then you hydrate your kids Wasn't and too then long, they're yeah. fine. Wasn't too long ago that was a death sentence. And in the Western world, we consider it just an inconvenience. Yeah. But in a lot of rest of the world, developing world, it still is. Yeah. It's, it's there was like, an outbreak yeah. in New York City at mm -hmm. Union Square at a yeah. fountain where, you know, hundreds of people died of cholera. You know, yeah. again, many years ago, and we've solved that. But yeah. so, yeah, I mean, it was the second year that this this medical officer said, Scott, you know, you've got two years of experience now. You're 30 years old. Why don't you go make this the problem that you're going to solve in your life? And something about that sounded so simple. Like, yeah. hey, get everybody on the planet clean water and try to do that before I die. You got the mission. You kind of had the aha moment. And then you kind of draw from your experience being a promoter. I mean, you're organizing people, you're getting people yeah. together for a cause, right? So it's almost seemed like everything you did, even though you didn't think so, actually led you to that point where you're like, you know, actually I have the tools to be able to get this done. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I, I really was a promoter. So I was promoting the idea that if you got past the velvet rope inside mm -hmm. the club, spent yeah. thousands of dollars and left with a cute boy or girl, mm -hmm. you know, then your life had meaning. Yeah. Promoting clean drinking water for humans was certainly more worthy and redemptive yeah. and universal. Yeah. I mean, you have the foundation. I mean, you've, you've helped millions of people. You've provided access to water for millions of people. Uh, tell our audience, you know, exactly what kind of impact you've had so far and, 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 you know, where do you want to steer this? Where, yeah. What's the next step? So when I started 15 years ago, there were a billion people without access to clean water. Uh, so it was one in six alive. You know, Charity Water has now grown. Uh, we've raised about three quarters of a billion dollars. Um, we've personally, as an organization, through our global community, we've helped 15 million people get clean water. Mm -hmm. And the total number is down to 771 million. So we've actually made a lot of progress. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're the biggest water charity in America now by about four or five X, but governments have been stepping up and agencies have been stepping up. So we've, we've gone from one in six without water to one in 10 without water, mm -hmm. but 771 million people, it's two Americas it's too, full yeah. of people. Exactly. It's an, it's an, it's a huge number. And, you know, we're, I mean, there, there's people listening that are, you know, uh, carrying out inconceivable engineering feats, mm -hmm. right? We're landing rockets on platforms in yeah. raging seas. We're talking about colonizing planets. And yet a tenth of our planet is drinking disgusting, dirty, yeah. unsaved water every day. Mm -hmm. So we need to go faster. You know, the organization will raise about 130 million this year. That's a fraction of what is needed. Mm -hmm. you know, that's enough for us to help a couple million new people. Yeah. We need to be helping 20 million new people. 
get clean water. So we're, we're really focused on scaling the movement, scaling the organization. Uh, we work with thousands of local uh, team members now across 29 countries. So we've got, uh, you know, engineers really out mm-hmm. there in the Liberias and Bangladeshs and Cambodias and Indias uh, of the world, you know, working on the right local solutions. We're solution agnostics. So we, yeah. we have about 14 different technologies now that we deploy from bio sand filters to rainwater harvesting systems to drilled wells to solar gravity fed systems. You know, there's there's no one size fits all solution, but we actually know as humanity how to get everybody clean water. Yeah, it's it's not it's 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 not unsolvable. No, and that's the weird thing. It's like it's one of those goals where it's like, yeah, well, okay. It can't be that hard to get people clean water, but But the will is not the will. And and, and I think the local the ability to do local solutions instead of trying to do a one-size-fits-all solution. I think the point that you raised that you're trying to actually solve the problem at the local level where and with solutions that meet the demands of that of that locality instead of yeah. coming in and just saying, and okay, we're going to do this. And right? you, can, yeah. you can't drop a you know reverse yeah. osmosis filter in the middle of Malawi mm-hmm. because there's no money for the membranes. Yeah, exactly. Or there's yeah. no supply chain to, mm-hmm. to change out the membranes. Yeah. You need to find that local solution. You know, I think that the audience that you're going to get tonight is going to be very receptive to this message because we have a lot of people in our membership who are water engineers, who are environmental engineers, and this is what they do. And the reason why they got into the business wasn't just to, you know, to do it. They actually wanted to improve something. I think that, you know, largely our members want to improve the world around them and actually create a better world, either cleaner, safer, more resilient. So, you know, what message do you want to leave for them at the end of your talk and really get them thinking about and saying, okay, what can I do with my skill set? You know, yeah. I'm doing these water systems for, you know, regional development and all this stuff. You know, so, you know, what can I do? What can my firm do? What should we be doing? Sure. Well, I, I think the question I did not ask for 10 years at least was how I could use my time or my talent or my money in the service of others. Yeah. So I think, you know, many of these people are going to have the ability to write checks, right, mm-hmm. for, for this or many other issues yeah. um, that, that are meeting human needs in a really tangible way. I think others will have expertise, you know, could, could go in and develop local talent, mm-hmm. you know, could consult, you know, Engineers Without Borders is a great organization that's been, you know, making an impact in, in many of the countries where we work. Um, so I think it's really, you know, at the end, maybe what difference could I make besides building a company, besides making money, besides taking yep. care of, you know, all our employees and team members, but how could I end needless human suffering? Because some of the yeah. images I think I'll show tonight will be really shocking, mm-hmm. you know, to people. I mean, it's, 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 it's not, uh, we, we don't see kids throwing up all over yeah. themselves it's because they drink from a river. Yeah. It's, you, you know, don't think about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the interesting thing is I think that especially, you know, we look at workforce issues and that younger generation of engineers that are coming up, right? That 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 mindset of a of that, uh, I don't know if you want to say Generation Z or whatever you want to have, or the millennial generation or any of that stuff. But it's that idea that you know, they want to have more than just a job that they go to, that they do nine to five in, that they just do the project work. They want to have that feeling that they're actually contributing to something greater than themselves, which is yeah. a nice thing. And and the engineering industry, of course, can sus- sustain that because of the work that they do. So you know, I think another encouraging message i think for our members to pay attention to is that if you want to engage this younger generation to like really take an active yeah, role they, they give them purpose. a mission yep yeah they so. want to work with purpose they want to align to you know something greater than 
you know, maybe building a bridge yeah. or, or building the thing. Exactly. Well, you know, for the time being, I mean, if, if somebody's listening to this saying, you know, I want to learn more and I want to sure. figure out what I can do. So where can they find Charity Water? Yeah, we're at charitywater.org. A lot of resources and, and videos on the website. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we need everybody's help. I mean, this is, this is completely funded by individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have some corporate support, but, you know, that's typically an individual at the yeah. company getting passionate about this and then, and then making it the mission of, of the company or the small business. So, you know, again, 15 million out of 771 million, we've solved one fiftieth of the problem. Yeah. There's a lot more to 2% do. 2% is not enough. No. You know, we're, we're not happy with that. And, and maybe the last thing I'd say is, you know, you, you mentioned millennials and just young people wanting to work with purpose. Water is a great issue because it's not political. Yeah. It's not religious. It's not contentious. Mm-hmm. Republicans and Democrats and independents all think people should have clean water. Yeah. You know, atheists and Christians and Buddhists and, you know, people of Jewish faith or right. Everybody can stand for clean water for humans. It's an Mm -hmm. inarguable common good. So that's allowed us to actually build a really diverse community of people who might fight to the death about some of the, you know, hot issues of the day, but can come together in agreement that people need clean water to flourish. Absolutely. Well, I cannot wait to hear your full presentation tonight. I know our uh, members are looking forward to it. There's been a lot of interest here, and it's a great way to kick off this event. Scott Harrison, thanks for taking some time uh, out of your day getting ready to uh, talk to us and uh, look forward to, to hearing you tonight and, 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 and helping you towards that goal. I'm, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Well, again, this has been Engineering Influence uh, live well, live recording from our 2022 uh, annual convention and legislative summit. We will see you very soon. Take care.